0: Welcome to the SASH Podcast, the Society for American Soccer History.
1: I hope you can feel
2: their Scottish accents in there when you read the recollection. It's more likely that they use a version of the game that was played at Princeton. In
3: 1895, a woman who called herself Nettie Honeyball
4: formed the British Ladies Football Club. I interviewed him about his whole life. I mean, he just told his story in his own words.
5: Welcome to the Society for American Soccer History's first Friday session for September. Founded in 1993, SASH works to promote, facilitate, and disseminate research into the rich history and heritage of soccer in the United States. Well, we should add, find, or uncover, discover, unearth, whatever you want to use, to that list. Today, we're thrilled to highlight a find that some of our members have been involved with. More on that in a minute. You can find us on the web at ussoccerhistory.org. And please spend some time going through the site. There's all sorts of great information from short posts to long form research articles. And then there's our video page, which uh, we'll be talking a bit more today. We have over 20 videos of our talks and our presentations uh, from various times. Uh, The behind the footage article uh, that's also on the website is written by society member Uh, and board member Ed Farnsworth. A special thank you to Ed for writing it up as well as coordinating this whole rollout uh, with the footage on Facebook and Twitter and obviously our homepage. You'll see uh, that uh, the footage is on this SASH video page. We can see uh, various members and others giving their talks so you can spend some time Uh, and look there. Uh, This video from today will be on our website uh, next week, as will some other videos, uh, long lost from uh, 2018. My apologies, they've been on a a card that I've been unable to transport, but uh, Steve Holroyd has helped me out and you'll be able to find those early next week as well. You can connect to us on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter, But then also join the society and you can see uh the join tab uh and uh that page next slide please uh where you can join our humble uh but our modest uh society for uh twenty dollars and it will take you uh through there and that is a a yearly fee and now we'd like to get to our story next slide please the story behind the footage with Dr. Brian Bunk, a professor of history at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and our society's treasurer. He's going to walk us through the next part of our session.
2: Brian. Okay, um, well I I wrote a a story about this for the site, so I'm just going to kind of summarize briefly here. Um, It all started I guess in the spring And I had come across this database at the University of South Carolina that contained some uh, newsreel films of soccer matches from the 1920s. And then um, Ed Ed, uh, Farnsworth emailed me and and Tom and said that he had this idea that perhaps there was some footage in, uh, in Scandinavia and in Sweden in particular of the 1916 trip and the 1919 trip uh, by Bethlehem Steel. And so he did a little bit of preliminary research and then asked me to to see what I could find out. And so it took a, a little bit of time and a lot of Google Translate, since I don't speak Swedish, uh, to uh, figure out the database, get an account in the database, and finally did some searching and discovered that in fact there was footage of the 1916 and the 1919 uh, 19 trips, both and I also found out that it had already been digitized, uh, so that was pretty exciting uh, uh, news. Then it was a question of how are we going to access this material the The uh, Swedish Film Institute has some material already posted on their website, but unfortunately not these um, you know the the ones that were important to us I guess and um, and so Usually, you can only access audiovisual materials in Sweden and in some other um, universities in uh, Scandinavia. But then, because of the COVID, uh, they had changed and were making things available uh, remotely. And so I thought maybe this is our chance to get the material. And it took some time, but eventually I was able to order them through the library, only to be told by the librarian that that was still. Uh, you know, he couldn't deliver them to me remotely. So we need to find another way. And thankfully, he suggested contacting the sales department of the Swedish uh, broadcaster, uh, SVTV. And I emailed them, and they I got a, a automatic response saying that they were on vacation for the next two weeks. So um, that was a little bit of bad timing. Eventually, Uh, I waited a little bit, figuring they were on, um, you know, coming back from vacation. And then finally, I emailed them a second time, and they responded pretty quickly. And then it was really just pretty easy. Uh, You know, they quoted a particular price, we agreed to the price, uh, and they delivered the film. So um, it took quite a long time. I think we first started searching in March or April or something like that. So it's been a few months that we've been uh, working on this and we didn 't want to announce anything until we were we knew we had it in the in the bag, so to speak, so that 's kind of the story of of how the the footage arrived here and how we we gained access to it so i don 't know if anybody has any questions or or you just want to see the footage
4: um, I do have a question yeah. Uh, it, it, it was pretty common at the time for British teams, English teams to, who were, you know, pretty advanced and famous to to travel to South America, North America. And, but it was, or rather, let me put this as a question, wasn't it less likely that North American team would go over there or was it just as common?
2: No, it's not. I don't think it is as common for U.S. teams, especially in this era, to go abroad. Um, The 1919 trip may have been the first by a U.S. team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tom might be able to correct me on that. But um, so yeah, it wasn't very common, um, and um, for for U.S. clubs to make that many trips. There are some um, interesting cases. There's a there was a German club from Worcester, which is the uh, city here in central Massachusetts and they went on an extensive tour in Germany. Um, you know, I think it must've been some kind of family connections or, or some kind of cultural connections that, that made that happen. But generally speaking, I don't think U S teams tended to travel as much as English teams or some other Spanish clubs, for instance, too. But Brian, I'm, this
5: is,
4: this Canada, is Peter. I have a Canada,
5: but in 1891, a Canadian team plus some folks from Massachusetts uh, made an extensive tour, multi-month tour, of of England and Scotland. And Farnsworth, Fardsworth, I don't know if he's um, joined the call yet, but uh, he's done a lot of research uh, into this. So uh, yeah, uncommon, but uh, there, you know, there were other tours. So you know, maybe some footage of that 1891 would pop up someday. You know, <laughs> but th- this is the earliest that uh, we know of uh, of Americans, North Americans, playing soccer um, abroad. And it's the, the, the earliest uh, footage uh, that Brian's been able to find in others, so exciting. Brian, this is P- Peter Wilt. My question is more about the process. Do you suspect this is a unicorn or is it the tip of an iceberg? Are there more um, early American soccer uh, footage reels out there somewhere?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there is there is footage from the 1919 tour that we're going to try to get a hold of um, as soon as we can. And I think um, I don't know if he's on the call, but James Brown has um, uh, had had found or someone had found some footage of the of a tour by the uh, Fall River Club in the 19 in 1930. I think in Huntington yeah. archives.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. we have that. It's very clear footage, very crisp, good footage.
2: Yeah, so I I suspect there probably is some more out there. Um, we we also searched the the U.S. team in 1916 played in um, in Norway as well, um, and we looked, but we haven't been able to find anything in the Norwegian archives. So I'm not sure that was necessarily filmed, but it's always possible. But yeah, I mean. With the footage that we discovered uh, earlier this year in the spring, I think you know, it used to be we had a couple of small, um, you know, one or two from the 1920s, and now we have probably three or four times that number. So yeah, it's been kind of a bounty year uh, for uh, discovering uh, old uh, US soccer footage, that's for sure.
0: That's awesome, thank you for your work on
2: this. All right, should we take a look at the footage, I guess?
0: Brian, just while this is running, can you, can you verify which, which teams are, I assume I would think maybe the, the U S is playing in white and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I thought,
2: yeah, I thought we'd watch it once just kind of to watch it. And then, you know, I made a a stab at trying to identify some of the players. Um, But it's difficult as you can imagine. So we can talk about that a little bit later.
4: Brian, I'm, I'm
3: curious, this might be getting a little too far out of the weeds here, but do you have any idea what the original format of this was and do you, you know, it's it's like shockingly sharp and clear and, um, you know, how it was preserved. Um, it's just like such a fine for being over 100 years old, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I... I'm I'm sure it was a newsreel, it was part of a newsreel series in in Sweden. So it was probably originally on, I'm not quite sure what, you know, if it was 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter what they were shooting at that point in Sweden. Um, And then I imagine it was just in the archives, Um, probably, obviously it must've been well preserved and then they clearly took their time to digitize it. Some of the information that we have from, or some of the other footage Uh, that was recorded here in the U.S. by uh, Fox Movie Tone, the the footage is pretty bad because I don't think it was properly stored. And I was talking to the librarian there and he was saying that um, in, in I think almost all the cases, the original film has been, you know, totally destroyed over time because of water damage or just the, you know, the degradation of the film itself. And so really these things, at least in the Movie Tone archives, survive based on transfers I think they made to VHS or something in the 80s, and now they've been digitized. So the quality is pretty poor because of the damage, and then, you know, you're, what, two or three generations down. But, yeah, when we first saw this footage, we were shocked at how clear and crisp and, and yeah, totally looks pristine, so it's amazing.
1: That's the same quality as the Fall River uh, footage. You know, it's really, really crisp and clear, when you can see the... the uh, uh, the teams, both teams and then a bit of play.
5: We're going to ask Brian to uh, play it again and he's going to do his uh, best imitation of a uh, commentator from the early 20th century. Oh Yeah. I don't know about
2: that, but yeah. So I tried to go, Tom has a, a photograph of the team or not. Yeah. As the team, as it was leaving, uh, I think, right, Tom, um, and so I tried to sort of go through the footage and match up some of the players. Um, it's really hard to see their faces clearly on the on the film, as you could see. And so I, I relied a little bit on the position that they were playing and and what I could ascertain by, you know, how tall they were, their build and general hair, color, style. So, it, it you know, there's certainly a lot of room for error. But I mean, one thing we can say for sure is that, um, you know, George Tinnell was the the goalkeeper. So he's easy to identify. The Swedish keeper was described as a giant, by the way, in one of the newspaper reports, which I'm not quite clear. I think that's Neil Clark there heading the ball away, the tall guy who played in the central midfield. We also were commenting on how the goalkeepers tend to stay so deep and not right on the line, basically the whole time. I think that's Thomas Swords, who just kind of went into the net. He was the captain of the team. And then I think this is, uh, Hemmingsley is the is the center forward, and I think he's the one who crashes into the keeper here in, in a second or two right there. And then I, I don't know, that might be Matt Dietrichsen who, who scores the goal, but we think that was probably chalked off because of the foul. That might be Hemingsley again, or, or um, one of the other guys, James Ford, perhaps. The US only scored one goal, it was a 1-1 tie, and the, go- the way the newspapers describe the goal is that it was a beautiful pass from, um, I think, Swords to Hemingsley. And that that goal that we saw was certainly not a beautiful pass from one player to another. So that's why I think that was not the goal that was counted.
4: I'm impressed by the number of spectators uh, for you know what was obviously a friendly team match, and uh, there there seemed to be at least I don't know difficult to judge, but I would say ten thousand maybe.
2: Yeah, the newspaper reports put the, footage or the number at 20,000, but it was in the Olympic Stadium and the king was in attendance. So that may have driven, um, driven attendance. Uh, I was reading up on the tour in the, in the Spalding Guide. They have a, a really comprehensive report. And apparently it was the um, one of the Swedish officials, sporting officials who was also a vice president of FIFA was the one who invited the U.S. team um, which is a little bit of a questionable decision considering that World War One was going on at the time. Uh, and there was, you know, submarine activity in the Atlantic Ocean. But nonetheless, uh, they had to scrap together the team uh, kind of at the last minute. So the International Committee of the Federation, the U.S. Federation sort of handpicked the players. And almost all of them come from New Jersey and Pennsylvania. There was, Swords was from Massachusetts, Dietrichson was from St. Louis, but uh, I think almost everyone else was from Pennsylvania or or New Jersey, uh, and I that's guess how should, daily,
1: that's how it should be.
2: <laughs> the daily, uh, the newspaper in Stockholm, I guess, put up the money uh, or at least guaranteed a certain um, you know gate or take for the U.S. Federation. So that was partly why the trip happened was because the newspaper basically guaranteed that they would run a profit, that the U.S. would make money on the tour. Right. So that might have helped to increase attendance as well.
4: I'm curious to me, it seems like unlikely to
3: near impossible that you'll ever find footage from earlier than this, correct, of the national team
4: in any capacity?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, this was
2: the first official U.S. men's national team match because the, the federation was founded in 1913. So this was sort of the first uh, under the the official, you know, blessing as it were I mean there were a few other matches before this time um, but those aren't counted I guess by you know officially so yeah it seems I mean there there wouldn't be any more I mean you couldn't get any earlier footage I guess the no. official U.S. men's national team footage uh, they played the first international against Sweden was a couple of days after this um, and unfortunately we, I couldn't find any footage of that match which would have been pretty great but
1: can you can you refresh my memory? When were the matches against Canada? Uh,
2: 1894 was it? I think, or uh, there, there weren't
1: the, any in the teens.
2: They played in the 1890s, and then I'm not sure there were too many after that. I mean, oh, okay. there was the Olympics, but that was not really considered to be a you know a regular international team. It was a, a college team, I think. 1906 olympics yeah
4: the very the very first one that i've come across is between mcgill and harvard Um, and uh, mcgill went down they played harvard rules and then harvard went up to montreal and they played the canadian rules and it was still the time in which uh, it was neither rugby nor nor soccer it was (laughs) kind of still a mixture of the two yeah the canada game says november 28th
3: 1885 i guess that'd be the first one and then again a year later november 25th
2: so those are the photos right tom i don't know if you want to yes yeah those
5: are uh i i can explain what these are a little bit um you know this is the the photos of some of the locals, right? They, they traveled. Can everybody see that? The photo? Yep. So th- these are the locals. Yep. Uh, the fellow on the right is uh, George Tintel uh, from Harrison. Uh, and then you have some, some Carney and East Newark and New Jersey folks. So I always love to say it kind of mirrors, you know, the Tab Ramos, Tony Meola, and John Harks, right? You have this kind of local, uh group uh, that has been stocking uh, the national teams you know for for over 100 years uh is was the goalkeeper he was a fireman in harrison uh james ford uh his older brother was the soccer coach at saint benedict's prep where tab and claudio reina and greg Burhalter all went uh, much later uh, and, uh, you know, that local, but you can see from their bags that this is the trip because they traveled on the SSS Frederick the eighth, uh, in order, uh, to get across the Atlantic ocean. And yes, I mean, Brian's right in the midst of, uh, uh, some troubled waters, uh, across the Atlantic. And then this is either in, um, that Kearney Newark area before they, uh, went to Hoboken and, uh, uh, they, they left. Remember, I think the slogan was heaven, hell or Hoboken by Christmas, right? They thought that it was going to be a short, uh, you know, involvement in the World War. Uh, obviously, these fellows got from Hoboken uh, to Scandinavia and then back before U.S. involvement. Uh, but uh, but a couple people uh, of note right in the center in the second uh, row is Tom Cahill, uh, called one of the, the father's of uh, American soccer, and uh, was a promoter uh, for soccer for the Spalding Company, and you know very much part of authoring these articles and these detailed reports uh, in those guides, which you can find in the resources section on the the Sash website. But again, as Brian said, we we've, we've done our best to crowdsource uh, who these folks are. So there's some from New Jersey, some from Philadelphia, some from New York, uh, but very much kind of a regional national team at this point. And then other groups would go over with, you know, folks from Massachusetts, from Missouri. And, you know, obviously over time, the, the national team still drawing from hotbeds, but becomes more inclusive.
0: Tom, may I ask um, Harry Spaulding, who's right there in the middle? Who is, who is that Harry Spaulding?
5: Any ideas? I, I'm not familiar with him. I'm familiar more with the local guys uh, than right. uh, I don't know if anybody on the call knows who that is.
0: If he's connected to the Spaulding family or anything like that. No. But he's, he looks quite young on the picture.
2: So Was Harry Cooper one of the Coopers block or whatever that that you wrote about? Not as far as I can tell, no. I looked into that.
5: I could not – you know, link. But you do have Tom Swartz, the captain of the team is from Fall River, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And his father was playing in the very first games in the 1880s in Fall River uh, and was president of the, one of the local clubs. So that was this early American soccer family from Massachusetts. And uh, Tommy Swords, you know, uh, played in Philadelphia and, and other players, places was a real kind of hometown hero who got a lot of uh, mention in the local press.
2: There was, I think, a Spaulding who played on the, in the 1894 professional leagues. I, I can't remember if he was on the Philly team in which league, but I'm pretty sure I don't know that if that's a connection, too.
1: Uh, there's a, a Charles Harry Spaulding uh, who was an American soccer and baseball player. That's him. Yeah. Okay. So he's, yeah, from Pennsylvania. Right. And he was, he's inducted in the hall of fame in 51.
2: Yeah. There were three members of this team that are in the national soccer hall of fame, uh, Spalding, Tintel and Swords.
5: How about we watch it, uh, one more time and then get another round of questions and then, uh, we can, uh, finish up for, for the afternoon.
2: Uh, I see there's a couple of questions in the chat um, about whether the uncovering of all this historical footage is a product of increased digitization. I mean, that may be partly the case. Um, I think, as I mentioned, in, in terms of the South Carolina Archive, uh, they had already begun that process, you know, by, certainly by the 1980s from what he was saying, that they were transferring that material in order to preserve it. And then I think they are you know how how and what their you know digitization goals are but certainly it's it's much more accessible than it would have been before uh so yeah i think it's a, it's probably a result of that and more and more of these online catalogs and databases being searchable and accessible basically to anyone i think is bound to increase the you know these new kinds of rediscoveries i guess Um, And then there was a question about what the medals that they were wearing in the photograph. um, They could have been given those by the Federation maybe on the, on the, you know, before the trip, or I don't know if that, if it's possible that that photograph was after the trip, they received medals and trophies and all kinds of stuff while they were in Scandinavia. So that's another possibility. Um, We should also add someone mentioned baseball. They did play baseball games there and there does Mm -hmm. seem to be, Although it might be from the 1919 trip, there is some footage of the American soccer players playing baseball. Uh, So that was another thing that they often did uh, when U.S. clubs went abroad. Brian, I had a question about the University of South Carolina with these newsreels. How exactly were you alerted to that uh, and or new to kind of forage through all that? yeah well i'd seen a tweet uh that someone had sent about uh uh footage of of a tennis player from spain named lily alvarez and i used to be in a previous um my previous research life i was a a historian of modern spain so i always have kind of an interest in um, in spanish stuff and i knew who lily alvarez was so i was curious about that and then so I went to see the footage, and I thought, "Oh, here's the database. maybe they have something on soccer." so I just plugged in soccer into the into the search box, and the stuff turned up so I often do that if I come across a database that I'm not familiar with or that I've never used before. I'll sometimes just randomly search for that kind of stuff and see what comes up so is this uh, how off, how uh, how often you discover things almost by chance <laughs> uh i would say you know only a handful of times have i gotten lucky shall we say yeah okay. it doesn't happen very often there's a lot of you know negative negative results but then occasionally like i said it happens and i mean i found some other footage from 1930 uh again same way just the kind of random search in a database that i hadn't wasn't familiar with before this club, by the way, we tried to find out some information about it. I think it, it was originally from a particular neighborhood in Stockholm, uh, but they seem to have um, merged with another club sometime in the 1920s, and then they merged again with some other clubs in the 1960s, and then merged again in the early 2000s. So there is, I think, some version of this club still survives, but it doesn't, you know, the I don't know enough about Swedish uh soccer history to say anything more definitive about it
0: brian can i ask you if you have any other ideas as far as the collection in south carolina how did they ever get uh i mean obviously not this one because obviously this comes from the swedish one but the other material in south carolina why did it end up in the movie image research collection in south carolina of all places do you have any idea on the backstory? Uh,
2: I don't know why that library has it. It's the Fox Movietone newsreel collection. So you know it must have at some point been deposited in the archives there. You know how or why you know those, those things are often random or you know seemingly random but yeah so it's it, the, the soccer stuff is part of a much bigger archive of newsreel footage that contains all sorts of stuff from around the world. I was found some really interesting footage about this re- revolt that happened in 1934 in Spain that I had written a book about and I had never s- seen newsreel footage. So that was kind of cool. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, in addition to the soccer, it's just part of a bigger newsreel collection.
5: Uh, Brian, there is a, uh, a comment from Peter Legge in the chat if you want to address that on uh, the Swedish archives. Um... And then if we uh, after that, if we can have a comment from uh, Kurt Rausch, who says he possesses a medal that Neil Clark was awarded from this trip.
2: Uh, as far as other footage, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe part of the reason why this match was filmed it was it was the first one and the King was there. And um, and so that might have been why the cameras were on this one and maybe not on the on the first international match. As, as I said, I think it's part of a bigger collection of, you know, just like a newsreel that we've probably all seen where there's like a minute of this thing and then they go to some random, you know, tugboat race and then they go to some flower show, you know, so it's spliced together little snippets and that was this was probably part of something like that that would have been like a weekly newsreel that I'm sure was probably shown in theaters or something like that. So I don't know how this have a sense of you know how much other kinds of footage there is there is more i i did search using the generic you know swedish term for football uh so they do have other footage just none i mean except for the 1919 trip none from other american uh matches that i could find
3: oh uh, yeah hi this is, uh, this is uh kurt rausch here and yes i do have uh, in my possession a uh a medal from uh, neil clark that was awarded for this competition, and uh, I would, you know, gladly uh, provide some pictures if they want to. If you want to put it on the Sash site, uh, accompanying this this film, it might be a uh, another good addition.
2: Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Well, that might help if we could compare it to the the medals that they're wearing in the photograph. We would might have a sense of when that photograph was taken, either before or after they they went on the trip.
3: Describe
5: sure. describe the medal, Kurt.
3: Uh. Around the size of a half dollar. It has a, a picture of the Swedish flag and the uh, American flag on it as well. And um, soccer ball on the front. Uh, I, I can, uh, you know, as I said, you know, provide any pictures to anyone. If they want to see it, but it's a, it's a nice metal it doesn't have the, uh, you know, the fabric uh, portion on top of it. It's just a metal. And as seen better days, it's, it's pretty, pretty worn out. So he, someone was handling it a lot. <laughs>
4: And actually acquire, I'm actually in co- touch
3: with some relatives. Pardon me?
4: I'm sorry, Kurt. How did
5: you acquire the medal?
3: Uh, private auction uh, many years ago. I've actually been in touch with some uh, relatives of uh, Neil Clark, too, uh, over the years. I've, I've done some, some uh, research for other things on him. And uh, actually, the family was uh, interested in getting it back. So <laughs> I have a, a little there, but go, go ahead, Pert You you make a case
5: for Neil Clark to be a member of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. He is a, a winner of winners. So g- give your plug here. He is not a member, so give your plug.
3: oh uh, yes, I mean he. If you look at uh, any of the, the great teams at the time, he has played on the you know the Brooklyn FC team. He played for West Hudsons. He played for Tacony. He played for Bethlehem Steel, Fall River Rovers, he's won uh, numerous uh, National Challenge Cup medals, uh, AFA Cup championships, he was on the Robbins Dry Dock team, played in American Soccer League, he's a international, so he has many, many of the uh, boxes checked for I guess what would uh, consider someone up for election today. And um, you know he has also the pedigree over in Europe. He was associated with Glasgow Celtic and then and, and um, Belfast Celtic, and actually at one point was offered uh, some some jobs with uh, some of the English uh, FA teams. So he he has you know definitely a star-studded uh, career. Won many championships and. You know, as the, there was, at some point, uh, talk that, you know, that he, out of every medal that could have been won during that period, he was one of the few guys that had won just about all of them. So, uh, I, I, I definitely think there's a, a good argument for, for him to be in. That's it.
5: <laughs> Brian, any parting shots on uh, your find and, and w-
2: what's coming next? Um, I, no, I mean, I, like I said, it's partly, I mean, it was Ed's, uh, Ed Farnsworth who had the original idea and then it was, you know, I, I just tracked it down and, and, and arranged for us to get the footage. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully these, more of this kind of stuff will come out, uh, as we've talked about with more archives being digitized, with more databases being available, um, you know, hopefully some of this, more of this kind of thing will, will come up.
5: Any parting shots from, from other folks
2: before we conclude? Does,
5: does anyone know what Diedrichsen was doing on the team being from St. Louis?
2: Well, I mean, it says in the Spalding guide, as I think I mentioned earlier, that the, um, they had to do it very quickly. So they, they decided there was not time to have tryouts. And they they do say that there were a lot of people from the Western region who who wanted to be included or who wanted to be considered for the trip. Um, But then they just, like I said, kind of had a committee that picked the people. And I don't know how he ended up on that list um, when other people from St. Louis probably could have been picked as well. I don't know where he was playing in 1916. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was playing in the East Coast somewhere at that point. I don't know enough about Mm -hmm. it. Or enough about his career to say. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I have uh, some information on that, too. Um, I In, in my uh, paper that I wrote on Samuel Boostart, I came across a, a couple other uh, St. Louis uh, folks that were supposedly offered by uh, Tom Cahill to be on the team, but they declined. And I think I also saw a while back that Diedrichson might have been asked after H.H. Shanholt H uh turned down uh, an invitation uh, locally so a couple a couple people obviously had a uh, uh, decline uh, some invitations
5: that's interesting yeah, he had St. Louis roots right he was based in St. Louis grew up there played many sports there and then came uh, out east as a representative of the Spalding company
2: it's interesting that people had turned down because in the in the Spalding kind of summary of the tour they make it sound like they had to pick people instead of having tryouts but the team they ended up with was probably as good as one uh that they would have gotten if they'd had full tryouts so it's interesting that they it wasn't uh, you know every they weren't the first choice in some cases
5: all right mm-hmm think done enough with this today. We, uh, you know where to find us, you can ask questions, but you know, thank you for joining us today on this historic occasion. Kudos to Brian and to Ed, and that you know, wonderful feeling of unearthing uh, a gem. You know, all researchers yearn for that Eureka moment or finding that nugget in a dusty archive or an online repository. So congratulations to them and thank you for Uh, sharing it uh, with the society, its members, and others. And and a special thank you to Ed for organizing uh, this rollout. So here's to uh, finding more, many more, uh, and to, uh, you know, what else is out there. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Um, You know where to find us uh, on uh, the internet and on social media. So thank you, Brian. uh,
1: Yeah, great job, everybody.